Good morning, church. What a beautiful day. What a great morning of worship already. Thank you, worship team, for just leading us to the throne. I'm so excited about today and what God's going to teach us today as we come into his presence. We've been in a great series called Church Works, and in this series, we're walking through a book of the Bible called Titus, which is in the New Testament, and it was written by the Apostle Paul. He was writing to kind of his young protege in the faith, Titus, and he's saying, Titus, this is how church works. And Titus was there in Crete, a very secularized place, and then Titus is there, and the church is just kind of starting out, and, and God's doing great things. But he says, hey, these are things that are important. These are things that are essential, and as the generations go by, as lives are impacted, these are the things we want you to hold on to. And so we saw in Titus chapter 1 where he first said, hey, it's about leadership. Appoint lay leaders in the church and have them use their gifts for God's glory. And don't just rely simply on the pastors or the staff. It's everybody. Everybody through Christ is essential. And leadership is important there in the church. He said in the end of Titus chapter 1, he talked about sound doctrine. And he said, Titus, hold on to the word of God, right? Whatever happens in the culture, whatever happens in the church, always come back to the word. Always make that the foundation. You have this sound doctrine. Last week, Nick did a great job talking about generations. He said, hey, there's people who've gone before you. You're going to stand on their shoulders. There will be people who will come after you. You're a part of the generations. And you have a story to share. So impact others for the glory of God. We talk about how important that is. It doesn't matter about race. It doesn't matter about gender. It doesn't matter about socioeconomic status. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. We all have a place in God's church. And then today we're going to see in Titus chapter 3 as he talks about mission. Mission. Have you ever thought about this? Our terminology many times becomes our theology. Our terminology becomes our theology. Sometimes we'll say, well, I'm just a sinner. You know, that's me. I'm just a sinner. And what happens in our mindset then is we kind of go, well, I blew it. I messed up because I'm just a sinner. That's what I do. I sin. But yet, when you look at Scripture, when God sent a son who died for us, when God looks at you and God draws you to himself and God places the Holy Spirit within you, you know what God sees? God doesn't see just a sinner. And God sees a saint. What if we walked around and we said, well, I'm just a saint. (laughs) That's the way I'm supposed to live. That's the call in my life because of the grace of God. You think that would impact the way we live? You think that would impact what we do? But see, our terminology so many times dictates our theology. Remember as kids, we used to do this deal, right? We would do the church thing. You remember this? Maybe do this. Here's the church, and here's the steeple. Open the door, and here's all the people. Right? Here's all the people. It's fun. We do that with our girls. It's great. We, we love that. But what are we saying when we do that? We're saying, here's the church. And the church is a building. And the church is a steeple. It's a little steeple like this, right? It has doors over here. And then there's people inside. Hopefully, right? It's not like this, right? I mean, there's people inside. But, but really, the church is over here. And I go to church. I go do things at church because the church is a building, And when I believe Paul is coming back and saying to us, you know, hey, listen, all these generations later, the church is not a building. The church is not a building. The church is the people. The church is the body of Christ. The church is not an organization. The church is an organism. It is fueled by the Holy Spirit. She is alive. And God is using her in a mighty way for his glory. Eleven years ago, we were meeting at an apartment clubhouse and 
we had 15 people on Thursday night. We were doing a Bible study, and, and over the next few weeks, it started to grow. And somebody came up to me, and they said, hey, Jeff, when are we going to get a church? I was like, oh, what do you mean? They're like, when are we going to get a church? You know, when are we going to get a building? And I'm like, oh, we are a church. You know, <laughs> we're meeting in a part of a club. Well, we are a church because the church is the body. We have a church meeting, right? Right here in a warehouse, we have churches meeting all over our city and elementary schools and in movie theaters. There are churches meeting all over the world. There are churches meeting in houses. There are churches in China and India and Pakistan and Egypt where people are walking literally two and three hours to get to church, to be with the body of Christ. There are people putting their lives on the line today to come and to worship and to fellowship because they want to be a part of a movement of God which is... The church. Wow. Jesus was with his disciples one time, and you can see it in the book of Matthew, and he's going up to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi is a beautiful place. If you get the chance to go to Israel someday, we do a biblical study tour. It's incredible. We go up to Caesarea Philippi, but it's a huge mountain, right? And in the mountain, there's all these niches that the Romans had carved, and they put these statues, and people would come up there, and they worship at these statues. There's a river that comes out of this kind of mountain area. It's a beautiful place. And so Jesus takes his disciples. He goes up there to Caesarea Philippi, and you can just picture the scene. He kind of turns with his back to this place of worship to all these idols and he looks at his disciples and he says hey guys who do men say that I am in the midst of all the gods of this world who do men say that I am and they started saying well some say you're John the Baptist some say Elijah some say Jeremiah and then he said but what about you and it's a question we're all going to have to answer at some point in our lives who do you say that I am and Peter said you are the Christ You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. Way to go, Peter. You got it. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, the word church had never been used. They're like, you'll build your what? I'll build my church. Church means ecclesia. It means the called out ones, right? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And on this rock, I will build my church. What was the rock? The profession of faith. Jesus Christ is my Lord. And the church is a body of believers who are gathered together who profess that Christ is our Lord. We have come to worship Him. You see, the church is not just a building, right? It's going to be torn down and broken one day. The church goes on from generation to generation to generation because God's hand is upon His church. And the church has a mission. We're not simply called out to say, hey, we'll hang on here until God takes us home and we'll go to heaven. You know, but we're just kind of in maintenance mode. We're just kind of, kind of play it safe right now. No, there's five purposes of the church. There's five purposes of the church, right? The first purpose of the church is worship. Is worship. You know, six days a week we're bombarded by all the messages of the world. Six days a week we come in and we, and we, we just see what the world says to us. In all of our lives, it tells us you know, what we should wear, what we should look like, how much we should weigh, and all this. And then one day a week, on Sunday, we come and gather. And we reorder our lives around God's plans. We reorder our lives around what God says about us. We come in and we worship. We set our minds, attention, and our hearts' affection on God. And we just say, God, we love you. <laughs> You're our God. You're our King. We're not simply living for our own glory. We're living for your glory. The second purpose of the church is, is evangelism, right? To share Christ. 
to share the love of Christ. Now we hear that word and we think, oh, I've got to go out and pass out tracts on the street corner. You know, oh. No, 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 no. See, here's how it works. You're at work one day. And somebody's going through a really hard time or a difficult time. And you sit down and you start to talk with them. And, and a loved one's passed away in their life. Or their marriage is going through a real difficult time. And, and you say, hey, you know what? Why don't you come to my church? You know, just, just, just come one week. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't really go to church, you know? No, 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 seriously, come check it out. Just, just come on over. And unbeknownst to you, they show up one week. And they slip in and they may even be here today. And they're looking for help and they're looking for hope. And they hear about Christ. And they hear about redemption. And they hear about joy and they hear about purpose. And they leave here and they get on their phone and they text you and they say, hey, hey can we grab coffee sometime this week? Because there's just some things that I want to talk about. And you're like, sure. And so you go with them and you sit down at Starbucks. And right there at Starbucks, you start to tell them, hey, I can't explain it all, but I just know this. I know that there is a God who loves you. And there's a God who loves me. And he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for us. And right there in Starbucks, man, you just have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And you watch their lives being impacted. The third purpose of the church, the third purpose is discipleship, you know. We were created to be conformed to the image of Christ. That we were to have a relationship with God. That our lives should look more and more like Jesus. And it's a process of sanctification. It's a process of spiritual maturity. And the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the other. And we encourage each other. We need each other. We meet in small groups. We meet in men's groups or women's groups. We meet together and we talk together. And we say, hey, I want to be more like Christ. And we work together. The fourth purpose is what? Community. It's community. We need each other. We need each other. As a pastor, you know, every day, you know, you, you hear about things that are just awesome in people's lives. You hear about babies being born or engagements or weddings or promotions at work. But also every day you hear about hard things. You hear about people that, loved ones that pass away. You hear about diagnosis from doctors. You hear about layoffs and it's hard and you... The Bible says you rejoice with people who rejoice and you weep with people who weep. I don't know how people make it in life without Jesus, first and foremost. But I don't know how people make it without the church. Without people around them who come along and just pick them up and put their arm around them and say, Hey, listen, I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. I am with you. We need one another. Don't we? That's church. And the fifth purpose of the church is ministry. It's ministry, it's serving, it's making a difference. It's not that we're in a building over here and it's a little holy huddle and we come over here and it's just us. It's us being the hands and the feet of Christ. The church is the vehicle by which God accomplishes his work in the world. And we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. We are a part of God's church. And so let's see what God has for us today. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Titus. Titus, New Testament, right? It's in the T section, you know, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and then Titus. They put all the T's together. It helps us find it. That was nice. So right there in the Bible, maybe you have a mobile device with you. You can access the scriptures online and follow us there on version as we track along as well. And we'll also put the words on the screen so you can follow along with what God's word has to say. Now, remember, Paul's writing this to Titus. And I love just even that relationship. Here's the Apostle Paul pouring into somebody who's coming behind him. And if you're a parent, you're a grandparent, you know, here, you've got this responsibility to pour into somebody coming behind you, to impact generations for the glory of God. 
And I also love that Titus, you know, here's this guy and he's listening to this wisdom and he's receiving it and he's learning and he's growing and God is using him. And so pick up here in Titus chapter 3 as the Apostle Paul says, hey, the church is called, the church is called to do good. He says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, to show true humility toward all men. To do good is written six times in the book of Titus. To do good, do good, do good, do good. Over and over again. The Apostle Paul says, church, you don't just come and you hang out in a building. You don't come and it's just in four walls. You live in the world. You make a difference. You do good. You be the hands and the feet of Christ. There's this calling. There's this mission. The New Testament talks about salvation, personal salvation, personal renewal, personal redemption. talks about hope and peace. But the New Testament also calls us to a personal responsibility. To be engaged and to be involved. You know, he says, hey, remind people to be subject to rulers and authorities. It wasn't a rebellion against, you know, the Roman society. It wasn't a rebellion there. It was, hey, I'm under authority when I'm here. Now, I have a greater authority to God above, but my authority then is to be subject here. I'm to be a person of peace. I'm to be a person who doesn't slander, talk bad about people behind their back. I'm to be a person of true humility. And I love that. And I love when people come to Rolling Hills and and a lot of times they leave and they go, man, Jeff, that church is so authentic. It's just so authentic. And I'm like, yeah. You know, and we're not perfect. We've got a long way to go. But man, we're we're genuine. I mean, we're we're striving. We're learning. We're growing. We're becoming. And the Apostle Paul says, hey, be, be authentic. Be people of humility. Be people who are salt and light in the world. And offering grace and offering hope. But be sure to do good. Be sure to make a difference. Be sure to love others. And I get so excited about all the things that God's doing here at Rolling Hills. I mean, it's amazing and it's awesome. One of the things that really excites me is what's happening in missions, you know? I mean, locally, what's happening at Franklin Estates and the PATH Project? What's happening with South Nashville? I was at South Nashville last week in our, in our new campus there. And, and, you know, we're right on that uh, border in the zip code where there's 60 different nationalities. 60 different nationalities in 37211 zip code. And, and last week at church, we, four people from the Sudan came walking in, you know, and I was just like, hey, how you doing? You know, it's just like the nations are coming here. And God's saying, reach the community, share the love of Christ. Nationally, we just had a team return from New Orleans, you know, and doing missions down in New Orleans. We have another team going to Kentucky. Uh, we'll have JMI in Moldova and South Africa, a whole community in Red Hill. And in the Amazon and villages there, special needs children and pastors and, and passing out food bags. And it's like God says, go do good. Church, you learn and you grow, but you then do good in the name of God. There was a religious leader back in Jesus' day, and he, he came up to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? A great question, right? I mean, we want to know. And, and Jesus said, well, you know the commands. What does it say? And he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've got it. Go live it, you know. Have a relationship with God. We know that comes through Christ. And, and then love other people. And the guy, it says, you know, kind of, he wanted to justify himself. I've kind of got my own life, I've got my own schedule, I want to justify myself. And, and he said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus told a story. 
He said there was, a, there was a guy going down on a trip. He was traveling. He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell into the hands of robbers. And, and they beat him. And they left him on the side of the road. They left him half dead. I mean, the guy is just bloody. All his possessions are gone. And he said that a priest came by. And, and the priest, instead of helping the guy, the priest probably had some place to be, right? He may have had to be, you know, at church. And so, you know, he took off. And he went around the guy and left him. And then a Levite came, and a Levite was kind of a lay leader in the church, and he came by, he saw the guy, and he took off, and he left him. And then Jesus said, but a Samaritan, a Samaritan came by. Now, the Jews and Samaritans hate each other. And so when Jesus told this, I mean, people were just like, whoa, a Samaritan, man, what's he going to do? Is he going to jump on the guy, beat him up even more? Jesus goes, no, a Samaritan came by, and he saw the needs. And he put oil and wine and he bandaged his wounds and he picked the guy up and he put him on his own donkey and he took him to an inn and he said to the innkeeper, hey, take care of this guy and here's some money and I'll pay for it. If there's more expenses, here, I'll come back and give you even more. Just take care of him. Jesus said, who do you think was the neighbor? Who do you think was doing good? I think what Paul's saying to us and what Jesus is saying to us over and over again, listen, we can get busy doing a lot of things. We can be busy in our lives. But you and I have to always recognize that there are people around who are hurting. There are people around who are broken. The Samaritan didn't go, hey, are you a Jew? Because if you're a Jew, I'm not going to help you, you know. Or if you have a different political stance, I'm not going to help you. Or if, you know, you're a different person of a different race, I'm not going to help you. He just helped. He just did good. He just made a difference. Paul says, hey, Titus, tell the church, go do good. Make a difference. Impact others' lives. second thing he says is the gospel propels us to do good. Oh, I love this. He says in verse 3, right? At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And Paul says, hey, Titus, remind people what their life was like before Jesus. <laughs> you remember life before Jesus? <laughs> remember all the worldly passions and all the things that we did that we were like, oh, why did I do that? Remember what life was like? And then he comes to verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? He just reminds them of Grace. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. I know some of us, we've been Christians a long time and we've been believers, but but I pray that the gospel will never get old. I pray that it won't lose its power when you hear these words, that it would just do something in your soul, right? But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, We weren't good enough. We could never be good enough. And God saved us in spite of our sin, in spite of our transgressions. We were dead in our sins until he made us alive in Christ. It was his mercy. Oh, praise God, it was his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Awesome. That as God draws you to himself, and invites you into a relationship with him, and you receive Christ, and Jesus Christ becomes the Lord of your life, God places his Holy Spirit within you, 
And it's not just that he gives you a little dab of the Holy Spirit, right? It's like he pours out generously. He just pours out the Holy Spirit on you. It's like it says in 1 John 3, 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Oh, the beauty and the grace of God. The grace of God. It's the prodigal son who's in the pig pen who says, I'm going to go home. And he finds a father who's running toward him and a father who throws his arm around his muddy, nasty son and just begins to kiss him. You are mine and you are home. Man, never forget that. There's a time in your life when you responded to the grace of God and God just threw his arms around you. And God said, I'll never let you go. I'll never let you go. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are mine. And it is the grace of God. I mean, it's not by anything that we've done. We didn't earn it. It's by his mercy that he saved us. And he saved us, why? So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs of having the hope of eternal life. We might become heirs. It's not just that he saved us here. It's that he gave us eternal life. That this life is not all that there is. And when we go through the difficulties and the challenges, and we will, and we are, we remember that one day, God's going to come back. One day, we will spend eternity with God because of the grace that we've received. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have been trusted in God, right, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. You see, the gospel prepares us and propels us to do what's good. It's the gospel, it's the grace of God in our lives that is so life-changing. And we realize that we have been blessed in order to be a blessing, that we've received grace in order to offer grace so that we can go do good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. In our lives, the motivating tool for us, when we see somebody in need, when we see a hurt, when we are at work, when we're in our homes, when we're in our neighborhoods, and we see, we remember what God's done for us. And because of what God's done for me, I become the hands and feet of Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And I offer grace, and I offer mercy, and I offer love, the same love and the grace and the mercy that I've received. We're not called to be judgmental. We're not called to be condemning. Jesus said, right, I'm not condemning. It is by grace that you've been saved. And the gospel, the gospel propels us. And then he comes to this and he says, hey, church, you're called to be productive. Look at verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. The Apostle Paul comes and he says, hey, there's going to be some things that are going to distract you, Titus. There's going to be some things that are going to distract the church. And back then, they would get into these foolish arguments over genealogies. You know, hey, my ancestors did this. They would get into arguments over the law. And he's going, no, 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 no. Don't spend time in all these foolish arguments. Happens in the church today, doesn't it? And people get in arguments over different things. We get in arguments over eschatology. I mean, really, right? And we're arguing over, you know, premillennialism and amillennialism. And, you know, I just like, at the end of the day, Jesus said, 
I don't even know when I'm coming back. You know, so only the Father knows. But we get in arguments over things, and at the end of the day, it's great to debate. It's great, but at, you got to remember, keep the main thing the main thing. And the church is the body of Christ. The church is to be involved. He says there'll be people who'll be divisive. There'll be people who come in and, and they'll have their own agenda. And he said, hey, warn them. Say, hey, God is moving. God is working. We're a part of something bigger than ourselves. But don't get distracted. Always remember what the church is called to do. Who the church is called to be. In his final remarks, he kind of closes out this letter. You remember Paul's pouring his heart out to Titus because Paul knows he doesn't have a lot of time left. He's done three missionary journeys. He's been in prison in Rome. He knows it's coming to the end. But he says, as soon as I send Artemis or Tychius to you, do your best to come to us at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. And then look at verse 14. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. Third time, right? Third time in this chapter. Learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Oh, that we wouldn't live an unproductive life. Oh, that we wouldn't get to be 80, 90, or 100 years old and go, I missed it. (laughs) I was over here amassing a lot of stuff and a lot of things, and I missed what life was really about. I missed what God had called me to do. I missed being a part of something bigger than myself. Don't live an unproductive life, he says. Do what is good. See the needs and meet them. See, God has an incredible plan for his church. And you and I, we stand on the shoulders of people who've gone before us, People who've sacrificed so that you and I would have what we have today. That you and I could know the word. That you and I could grow deeper in the word. That you and I could have the fellowship. And and the church makes such a difference in our lives. I mean, think about it in your own life. Maybe you accepted Christ in a church. Maybe it was here. Maybe it was a place you grew up. And there was a body of believers who gathered together and you saw their authenticity and you saw their passion for Jesus. and, And you said, I want that. And you gave your life to Christ. Maybe you had a great children's ministry or student ministry you grew up in. And you had people that rallied around you in those tumultuous years and helped you become the man or the woman you are today. Maybe you were married in a church. And it was a building, but it was really the body because there were family and friends and people there who gathered around you and who stood beside you and just said, hey, we pledge to you. Maybe your child was dedicated in a church. And it wasn't just a building, it was people who circled around you and said, we want to walk with you as you raise this child. Maybe you received counseling. Your marriage was going through a tough time or a difficult time. Or maybe financially things were difficult and people came around you. Or maybe you were at a really hard point in life and a loved one passed away. And and you went to a funeral and there was the body. And people brought meals and people circled around you. People prayed with you and prayed for you. It was the church. In every aspect of our life, it's like God uses the church as the hands and the feet of Christ. And because we've been poured into, he then says, you pour into others. And you think about this body of believers locking arms together and using our gifts and our talents and you think about the impact that's being made in our community and in, around the world lives are being touched because of the church 
Jesus is coming back for his church. He loves his church. The church is called two things. The church is called the body of Christ. The body of Christ. The body. And I love as the Apostle Paul says in the book of Colossians, he says, for his sake, which is his body. The body. A lot of times we look at our bodies and we look in the mirror and we go, oh, look at my body. You know, my ears are too big or my feet. Look at my feet. You know, we always look at the things we're like, oh, but this is the problem with my body. You know, but none of us go, well, I'm going to cut my ears off, right? You know, or cut my feet off because every part's essential. Is, it, is the body perfect? No. Is your body perfect? No. None of us are perfect, but we are the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we go and be Jesus to others. We go and be Jesus. We go and offer love, we offer grace, we help, we serve, we go do good. But the church is also called the bride of Christ. And I think this is such a beautiful picture. In the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, husbands, get this if you're a husband, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to present her as a radiant bride. See, a Jewish wedding always had four stages. The first stage was it was an arranged marriage, you know, and so the, the father or the mother would go, and they would find this bride for the, their son, and they would go and they would meet, and then they would pay the bride price. And to think about the bride price that was paid for us, Jesus gave himself for the church. He gave himself for the church. Then, once the marriage was arranged, the groom would go back and he would start to prepare a place. He would add on, he would build a house, or he would add on to his parents' house. He would get ready, the bride would ready herself. The bride didn't know exactly when the groom was going to come back. But at some point, when the groom got everything ready, he would come back for his bride. Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. I've gone to prepare a place for you. And I will come back. And at some point, Jesus is going to step back into this world. He's going to say, enough, enough pain, enough suffering. And the bridegroom will come back and he will sweep the bride, his church, off her feet. And he will take us home. And there will be the greatest wedding that we could ever imagine. It tells us in the book of Revelation, Revelation 19, it says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come. And his bride, that's the church, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. That's you. That's me. And God is making us ready. God's preparing us. It's the body, the bride of Christ. And one day Jesus will come back and scoop us up and take us home. And we'll spend eternity with him. But until then, we are the church. We are the vehicle that God uses to accomplish his work in this world. We have an incredible privilege and an incredible responsibility. And he says, go do good. Go love people the way I loved people. Go pray for people. Go serve. Go make a difference. And watch what I will do through my church. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're here today and you've never professed Jesus Christ as Lord. In your life, you've thought, man, it's about me doing enough good things and maybe if my good outweighs my bad, God will accept me. You know what? You'll never be good enough. You just won't. Billy Graham never thought he was good enough, right? Mother Teresa never thought she was good enough. I mean, you just, you're just never good enough. 
It's only by grace. It's only by grace that we are saved. And there comes a point in your life and God draws you to himself that you say yes, that you just say, God, I want you in my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And maybe today is a day of salvation for you. Maybe for you today, God's saying, hey, it's time to be a part of the church. It's time to be a partner. It's time to join in. It's time to lock arms. You need the body and the body needs you. Maybe today, maybe today is a day that you just say, you know, man, I need to love people. I need to serve. Life's been about me. It's been about me amassing stuff, about amassing money or things or possessions. And, and today I realize it's about me giving. You can't outgive God. It's about me serving. It's about me making a difference in somebody else's life for the glory of God. And maybe today God's just pressing on your heart. And you're thinking about your spouse, you're thinking about your children, you're thinking about your friends. And you're saying, do I love them that way? Do I love them the way Christ loves me? Do I offer that same kind of grace that I've received to the people around me? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're here and and maybe right where you sit, you just say, God, I need you in my life. I've been trying to do life on my own. And I need you. Maybe where you sit, you just say, God, I confess that I've, I've had baggage from past church experience. And I give it to you. I just give this baggage up. And God, I, I want to come before you. I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. Maybe today, right where you sit, you just say, God, there's a lot going on. In my family, with my friends, in my workplace. And God, I just thank you that you are sovereign. And I thank you, God, that you love me and that you'll never let me go. You're with me today. So God, I'm yours. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart. Father, thank you for your presence this morning. Father, all across this room, prayers are going up to you, and it doesn't confuse you at all, Father. You love each one of us individually. And you meet us in our hurt and our brokenness because you love your church. Thank you for your son Jesus who unites us together through the profession of our faith that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Thank you, God, that you will never give up on us. Lord, I pray for every person here today. I pray, God, that we would know the depth of the grace of the gospel. (laughs) That we would understand that we aren't just simply sinners anymore, that we are a new creation, that we are saints in you. And that out of the love that we've received, God, that we would be people who love. Out of the grace that we've received, we'd be people who offer grace. And it begins with our, our spouse, our children, our friends, people at work, people in our community, and people throughout the world. So use us, God, as the hands and feet of Christ. Use us as your church. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and dedicate our lives to you. Amen. Amen.